Uh, many years ago, Ginny and I, um, well, actually, Ginny found some T-shirts that uh, had a little pocket printing on them that said, Life is Good. And, you know, we saw that and uh, we thought, wow, you know, uh, that is so true. Uh, they, the ones she found were only in woman's sizes, and I kind of thought, well, I should have one of those. Uh, but, you know, at, at that point, or at least at that store, um, that wasn't a choice. So uh, what we didn't realize at the time is it was actually a, part of a very brilliant uh, marketing campaign by the LG Corporation, who uh, was not widely known in the U.S. at that time. Uh, but they, and I think you can still buy, you know, clothes that has this this uh, logo on there. Um, we like the short. We, we we like the shirt, and we would we agree. Life is good, you know. Life's good. One of the things also that let me just give you a little uh, information about, uh, you know, about me and um, some of my favorite things. Uh, one of my all-time favorite songs is uh, "What a Wonderful World." Because it's true. I used to sing this to my kids uh, when they were small. Uh, to the point of when Marcy was thinking of what song should she and I dance to at her wedding, uh, this was the song. Um, but anyway, um, because I think it is. It's a wonderful world. If you've been to my, if you've been to our home, there is a sign, uh, a little. It's not little. It's, I think it's four feet, four feet tall by, by two feet. Um, thing painted on wood. I don't know what you'd call it, uh, but that's what you know. That's what it says. You know, what a wonderful world. But what happens when we get to the place in life where? Um, we think this is not a wonderful world. You know, because of whatever is happening, whatever is going on, and we're convinced that life is not good. What do we do? How do we, how do we deal with those low moments? Particularly when those low moments become all of our moments. We're going to look at that a little bit today. Uh, let's pray together before we turn to our passage. Father, thank you so much. We're never left on our own. Don't ever let us buy that lie. The lie of the enemy wants to think that you've abandoned us, that you don't care. I know that's not true. Even in those lowest times, you are there. Even when it seems that life is not good, even when it seems this is not a wonderful world, you are still there. And you are so very present. Teach us it's not this world that we hold on to, but you. Help that to be more and more of a reality for us. Teach us from your word this morning that we might learn as you worked in the life of your prophet Jeremiah that we too might see and come to know what a great, wonderful, loving, ever-present God you are. Your thoughts today, please, not mine. 
we ask in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 1 if you want to turn there on page 687 in a pew Bible or wherever it is in your other thing. Um, Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. Uh, that is that is kind of the title that's given to him. He was a prophet to Judah as the kingdoms were separated to Israel and Judah. He was a prophet to to Judah and he had the um, ministry. He had the calling. He had the, he had the spot where he was there while they uh, he ministered to them while they faced, you know, they, they, they faced their conquering. They faced their loss of a nation to the Babylonians. And this is, this is when Jeremiah ministered. The people had uh, let themselves get so far from God. They had let themselves get so far into a routine of sin that God had enough. You know, we forget about that sometimes and we think God's patience is everlasting. It might seem like that to us. But God only lets foolishness go on so long, and he only lets sin go on so long. And that's exactly what happened to his, this nation, the nation, you know, his people here. God had enough, and he, had, you know, he knew it was time to bring them into judgment. Now, he's bringing them into judgment for their good. You know, now it was, it's difficult to see that when you're in the midst of it. Well, here, you know, Jeremiah's calling is he's... he's, he's he, call, he is called, and he is called, as many prophets are, he is called, his calling is to call God's people back to God. To call God's people out of and away from that sin and to call them back into a proper walk, into a proper relationship with God. And so his message that he gave was really one of impending doom, and it was largely ignored and he suffered by bringing God's truth to those who claimed to be God's people. See, they thought that was enough. They saw, thought it was simple, uh, enough simply to be called God's people. And they thought, you know, that we're good. We're good to go because we are God's people. You know, and, and it was such a false dichotomy for them. They got into the whole... This is this is what we're called, uh, but is it, that isn't what they were being. That isn't what they were living. You know, and Jeremiah, you know, he would look around and he would say, um, life is not good. He would look around and he would say, this is not a wonderful world. That is, was not the reality for him. Now, let, let's see how God uh, set him up to face this stark reality, really. This is how God is, is set, remember his ministry, and God is setting him up here for that, that stark reality of watching his, his country be conquered, and not just his country be conquered, but his people be hauled off into exile by the Babylonians. Uh, we're going to go through this. I, my original intent, my original intent was to go through this entire chapter. That's not going to happen. It, 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 we, it's just not. It's, so anyway, we'll get through point one in your outline today, and then we'll see what happens. Okay, verse one, Jeremiah chapter one, beginning with verse one, the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah. Uh, by the way, there's some good names in here, you know, to pick out. So, you know, Lauren, Caleb, pay attention. Uh, the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests living in Anatoth, the ter territory of Benjamin. Don't pick that name. It's too easy. Uh, the word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah. 
the son of Ammon, the king of Judah. It also came throughout the days of, Je- of Jehoiakim, the son of jo- uh, Josiah, and the king of Judah, until the fifth month of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. The word of the Lord came to me. I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, this is probably just as far as we're going to get today in this. So let's, let's, let's stop there. Now, notice these opening verses, they simply tell us when Jeremiah was a prophet. Uh, that's the, the, the first three verses are just laying that out there of when, when he was a prophet. Jeremiah was an active prophet over, it spanned over what was probably the most Turbulent, if not the most turbulent, certainly uh, um, among the most discouraging uh, decades of of his country's history. Now you see there, it tells you in verse two that he received his call to be a prophet. It says in the thirteenth year of the reign of King Josiah. Uh, King Josiah, uh, that this thirteenth year, you know, that would be about uh, six twenty seven or six twenty six B.C. If you're writing the numbers down, uh, you know, and and you know, he continued his ministry. It says, you know, until the siege. It tells us there the capture of Jerusalem, which happened in five eighty seven B.C. by the Babylonians. Uh, you know, and in five eighty six is I believe when the exile happened. So it was about 40 years, about 39, 40 years is how long this, um, that he was active, you know, an active prophet here, active uh, ministry. Uh, it spanned the reign of five kings. There's only three mentioned here, uh, but there, it was five kings of Judah. One was Josiah, which is mentioned. You have Josiah and then Jeho- Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, and Zedekiah. Those are the five priests uh, just three of them are mentioned there, but it, it was a particularly devastating event for them. Uh, notice right, right there, you know, at the end of verse 3, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile, that was a particularly devastating event for them. The temple was destroyed. There was the destruction of the temple, Solomon's temple, and that was a consequence of their sin. And the people went into exile. All this happened as a consequence of their sin because they chose to violate the very first command that you will uh, i am the lord your god and you'll have no other gods before me you'll have no other gods besides me there is no other god and you need to live as if there is no other god and they were putting other things before god now it wasn't always necessarily a god in the sense of an idol Uh, sometimes it was uh, you know of an idol or worshiping false gods it wasn't always that you know, that's what, that's what we need to realize sometimes. It wasn't always that. The God we most often, they and we, most often put before God is self. I'm going to do what I want to do. Now, we wouldn't say that, and we wouldn't say that to God. Unfortunately, some people are stupid enough to do that. I think, I don't usually call people stupid, but that's a good word in this instance. Um, you know, sometimes people are stupid enough to do that, to, to you know, not say it, not say, I'm going to do what I want to do, but to live it, I'm going to do what I want to do. I know what the Word of God says, I'm going to do what I want to do. You know, again, it sounds foolish when we say it that way, but that, that's how, that's sometimes how we end up living it out. 
Now, Jeremiah was not, he was not simply a witness to these traumatic events. He was in the thick of it. He was, in, he was right in the thick of it as God's prophet. You know, he was trying to warn them. He was hoping maybe that they would, that they would turn, uh, but they didn't. It just got worse. And, you know, to know that, what is, I, I should know, but I didn't, you know, it's slipping my mind because it slipped my mind when I was 20, so it really doesn't have much to do with age, does it? What's the country that the, the, the Russians are surrounding right now? Ukraine. I was, I was thinking it was some kind of stand, you know, one of the stands. But, uh, okay, so they're on three sides of Ukraine right now, Russia, you know. And they say that, you know, it's, in, it's just going to happen, that they're going to come in. Um, a report I read the other day said that they haven't, that they, being Russia, has enough military personnel on three sides of Ukraine to take over that country. What a way to live, knowing that that's there and that that's, that happens. Okay, so here, Jeremiah was not only in that situation, he saw it happen. He saw the, he saw the, uh, the, the Babylonians move in, you know, that horde move in and take over. They just didn't come in and say, okay, we're here now. It was a very violent, very destructive taking over. Their goal in taking over any city, but their goal in taking over Jerusalem was that we are going to pulverize this city. Jenny and I went in to see my, my sisters yesterday, and so we had a three-hour drive across into Chicago, and we were listening to, well, is the name of the book Grant? I don't know. We were listening to the book on Ulysses S. Grant. We had six hours, three there, three back. We thought, hey, good time, and it's not done. But anyway, um, so, but we were, part of what they were talking about was the campaign as, as Sherman was uh, conquered Atlanta first, and then was going to blaze a trail to, uh, Kent will straighten this out later if I have the wrong things, uh, blazing a trail to the coast, you know, Sherman's, Sherman's march to the, to the sea. Some of you are familiar with that. Well, what they, were, what they mentioned there was uh, part of his reasoning, part of his um, uh, tactics were that he was burning everything to the ground and leaving them nothing. So that they would wouldn't be able to not only re you know regroup and attack him, but that they would have to then flee and leave this country then open uh, for the northern forces to come in and take over. The, you, you see, this is a tactic of war. It didn't start with Sherman. You have the same thing going on here. And Jeremiah is simply a witness to these things as they're, you know, as they're coming in and as they're pulverizing, as they're pulverizing Jerusalem and knocking down, taking the temple down. Not just taking the temple over, taking the temple down, you know, and destroying it. You know, this is, this, this is, what a horrible time to live through. 
You know, what, what, what a horrible time to be a prophet of God. This was not a good time. This was not a time in which it seemed like a wonderful world to Jeremiah. But right here at the onset, right here as, as God's people are going deeper into sin, at the beginning of this 40 years, you see, this wasn't, this wasn't just a short campaign of destruction, not that, not that uh, the Babylonians assaulted them for 40 years, but that the nation was being dragged down deeper and deeper into sin to where God had to bring that judgment in over these 40 years. And right at the onset, right at the beginning, as he's getting Jeremiah ready to go through these 40 years as the prophet, this is what he says to him. Look at verse 5. I chose you. I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. You know, when you think life is not good, when you're convinced this is not a wonderful world, remember this and hang on to this. God has a purpose for your life. God has a purpose for your life. Now, part of what this verse says to me as I read through this is that God knows us. He knows where we came from. He knows where we are. He knows where he wants us. Here we see God call Jeremiah as a prophet. Now, we erroneously think sometimes that, that uh, God only calls people to big, prominent, well-known roles. That that's, that, you know, that he only calls people, you know, to those things that, that are well-recognized. You know, God has called more regular people than he ever did prophets. The prophets he called and the number of prophets he called are a very small number in comparison to the fact that, he, you know, he called more regular people. You see, our attention is drawn to the upfront people. Our attention is, is, is drawn, you know, to those, you know, to those who are well known. But God has called all his people. And he has called all his people to be his people. He has called us to live like his people. They thought they were okay simply because they were called God's people. But what God wanted from them is the same thing he wants from us. He wants us to be his people. He wants us to live, you know, to, to, to live in and to live out our relationship with him. This is what he's called us to as his people. To live in that relationship, which, which means Jeremiah was going to have to live in that relationship because the surroundings stunk. The surroundings weren't good. The surroundings weren't encouraging. The surroundings would not give him a, an uplift. 
It was his relationship with God that he was going to have to depend on because the situation stunk. And he needed to live in that relationship. And he needed to live out that relationship. And that's the same things he's calling us to. To live in that relationship and to live out that relationship. That, that we find our... How can you have peace in the midst of storm? Only if you're living in your relationship with God. How is it that you can go through some of the stuff that people have to go through? Only if you're living in your relationship with God. But you see, as you live in your relationship with God, then living out your relationship with God becomes much easier. I didn't say it was easy. I'm saying it it becomes easier. It it becomes more important. Because that's when the grace and love of God shines through. You know, more, more people come to the Lord through the ministry of regular people. Than through all the crusades combined. There's no doubt in my mind about that. You combine all the crusades. And we hear about all the great crusades. And thousands came to the Lord. And those are great. And we, we need stuff like that. An event you know, where thousands come to the Lord. And that's a good thing. The day of Pentecost. Is, and 3,000 came to the Lord. And those are good things. And we need those things. But there's millions And millions of Christians in the world. The vast majority of whom didn't come to the Lord through the ministry of a big crusade. You know, now Ralph came to Christ through the ministry of Billy Graham's, you know, Billy Graham's uh, ministry and stuff. And it's good, you know, but... The vast majority of people in this room here came to Christ through the ministry of an individual who was living as a person of God, who was living in their relationship with God and who was living out their relationship with God. May have been a parent. You know, some of you came up, some of you came up through Christian homes. Uh, and, and your parents lived before you, uh, you know, a life that exemplified Christ. And you, and you were you know, fortunate enough to be raised and, and ministered to in a way that you realized you know, the reality of God as, as you were a child and grew up. Some of us came to Christ you know, through the ministry uh, uh, you know, of, of a friend or a neighbor or somebody who cared enough to tell us about Jesus Christ. You know, and, and more people come to Christ through the ministry of these individuals, of individuals who are called to live as God's people and do that than all of the, all of the other crusades combined. It's just reality. Public figures, they're, they're more obvious. But lesser known people overall are more effective. See, obvious does not equal effectiveness. You know, know, obvious does not equal effective. It just, you know, it it doesn't. As soon as people hear that that I'm a pastor, uh, they form an opinion and they take a a step back in their mind, sometimes literally, uh, but they take a step back at least in their mind and they begin to excuse their behavior because, well, I'm not a pastor, you see. Of course, he lives that way. He's a pastor. You know, but I'm not a pastor. 
But when your co-worker or your neighbor or your friend finds out that you have a relationship with Christ Jesus, and then they begin to think, well, wait a second. They're, they're just, they're, they're like me. And what you say begins to have a lot more impact on them than what I say. Because you see, they look at me and they say, well, of course he says that stuff. He's a pastor. I am looked at as a professional Christian. I don't like that. That's one of the things I, 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 I really dislike about uh, being a pastor and being in a ministry. And God and I have had this conversation many times over the last 40 years that I've been a pastor uh, of, you know, God, I think I could be more effective just as not as a pastor, just as, you know, just as one of the people in the pew. Uh, because of the impact those people have had in my life. Because of how many of of those people who weren't pastors, who weren't professional Christians, of, of the impact of how many of those people have had in my life. God has called us, and God has called us for a purpose. God has a purpose for your life. And if you're in a relationship with him, the biggest part of that purpose is to live in and from your relationship with him. Psalm 139 echoes verse 5. Psalm 139 says, For you who created my inward parts, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. And I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All the days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. This isn't written to Jeremiah. This isn't written to a prophet. This is written to God's people. This, this psalm, Psalm 139, you know, along with verse 5 you know, in Jeremiah 1 there, it reminds us that every life is important. And every life has meaning and purpose. Both of them talk about the reality that, that God knew us, formed us, that what went on in the womb was an act of God. And, and, and God's intervention and God's presence. There is no question in my mind that life begins in the womb. That life begins at conception. There's a belief today that that's not the reality. But one of the things I find nauseatingly interesting is if they find some pond scum on Mars, they'll say, we found life on Mars. 
and where life in the womb in our country and around the world is not looked on with that same value as it should be. You know, and there's no question in my mind where life begins, and it begins in the womb. Don't ever buy the ridiculous statement that, you know, well, they can't survive outside the womb. That's right. And after they're outside the womb, they still can't survive because somebody has to take care of them. I mean, use your brain. Uh, you know, just because the life is developing doesn't mean it's not life. Just because, you know, just because the life, uh, you know, it can't, can't speak and walk and feed itself, it doesn't mean it's not life. You know, it's still developing as, you know, even outside the womb, then you still develop a girl. I'm going to go out on a limb and make a, a, a very, you know, bold statement. Uh, none of you look like you did on the day you were born. I'm just guessing. You know, I mean, I've seen some kids born with a full head of hair, and I was like, <laughs> you know, it's a little freaky. But um, the, the, uh, the, you see, we, we, we understand that. We grow and develop after, you know, we, we come out of the womb. We grow and develop before that as well. And there's, there's nothing magical or mystical that happens on the way from the womb you know, to out of the womb that makes that, makes that life it's life in the womb. It's life when it starts. This is what God talks about here in Psalm 139. It's what he talks about here in the fifth verse of Jeremiah 1. Yesterday was the March for Life in Fort Wayne, and it's a reminder of the fact that every life is important and every life has meaning. You know, and the march is done here and around you know, the country near the anniversary of uh, the Supreme Court decision um, making abortion legal in the U.S. It was made on uh, January 21st, 1973, before many of you were born, 49 years ago. Next year, 50 years. Oh, my gosh. Um, it's estimated between... It's estimated between 50... And 70 million abortions have been done in the United States. We're not even talking about around the world. In the United States in that time. Life is important. Life is precious. Every life has purpose. Now, here's, here's what I want us, one of the things I want us to remember. With that many women choosing abortion, 50 to 70 million women choosing abortion, with that many women choosing abortion, I feel very confident in saying, you know someone who has had an abortion. You know them. You just don't know you know them. Because they don't want to talk about it. Because they they can't bring themselves to talk about it. They don't feel safe to talk about it. But I feel very... I know that I know some women who had an abortion. I know that for a fact. And I feel very confident that every single 
one of you knows someone who has had an abortion. You just don't know that you know them. Now, many, many women choose abortion because they think life will just not be good if they have that child. Did you ever think that perhaps the purpose for your life is to touch one of these women that you know and to touch one of them and help them to see that every life is important and that every life has meaning and has purpose? We too often, we as Christians, too often talk about abortion the same way we talk about homosexuality. Like it is the most abhorrent thing, that it is the unforgivable sin. That is not what God says. Matthew chapter 11. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. All of you, take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. Gently, gently help them find rest. Help them find a relationship with Christ. Help them to know the reality of forgiveness. You see, abortion gives a false notion that the problem is solved. But statistics show women suffer trauma. Women who have had an abortion suffer trauma 10 and 20 years after the procedure. Perhaps part of what God has for you is to show the love of Christ even for these women. Acts chapter 26. As I now send it to them to open their eyes so they may turn. There's a picture of repentance right there. So they may turn. You see, so they may turn from darkness to light. That we might be able to help them see the reality. That they might turn, it says here, from the power of Satan to God. Satan who wants to keep them guilty. Who wants to keep them feeling as if they are worth nothing. Who wants to keep them thinking that they could never be forgiven. And maybe God wants you to help them turn from from darkness to light. From the power and lives of Satan to God. It says that by faith in me, by faith in me, they what? May receive forgiveness. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and a share among those who are sanctified. I will tell you without any hesitation that that is part of the purpose God has for your life is to tell people 
to tell them and help them to move from darkness to light, to help them to move from the power of Satan to God, to help them to see that through faith in Christ, they will receive forgiveness. That is part of the purpose God has for your life. You know, while we stand for life and clearly stand for life, you know, you need to clearly stand for life. We need to do it in such a way that we also stand for forgiveness, that we also stand for cleansing, that we also stand for new life in Christ. Let me encourage you to be more interested in redemption than you are in raging. Be more interested in comforting than you are in condemnation. Be more interested in restoration than in repudiating. Be more interested in loving than in lashing out. Be more interested in grace than in griping. Respect life and respect the living. Part of your purpose, you know, is to tell those you meet that Christ Jesus brings forgiveness. You know how I know that? Because God said, you are my witnesses. This is in Isaiah, the Old Testament. You are my witnesses. This is the Lord's declaration. And my servant, whom I have chosen... So that you may know and believe in me and understand that I am he. No God was formed before me and there will be none after me. You are my witnesses. A little bit later. He says, I alone declare, saved uh, saved and proclaimed. Not some foreign God among you. So you are my witnesses. This is the Lord's declaration. I am God. Isaiah 48 or 44 verse 8. Do not be startled or afraid. Have I not told you and declared it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God but me? There is no other rock. I do not know any. Help them to see. Help them to know. Help them to understand. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. A big part, a big part of of your purpose is to tell those you meet that Jesus Christ is God and that he brings forgiveness and new life. Witness. A witness simply tells what they know, tells what they have seen. The big part of the purpose of your life is to tell other people what you know about God, what you have seen of God working in your own life, what you see and know of how God works. That is what a witness does. Simply tells what they see, tells what they know. And it was many different people witnessing and telling me about what God has done in their life what they knew about God and it was many people who told me and who poured that into my life before I got to the point where I realized this all makes sense this all makes sense and I need that relationship I I would say I feel pretty confident saying God's biggest purpose for your life is that To be a witness and tell people, and to tell people what God has done in your life and what they need. For all of us, all of us, 
Our lives were so messed up that nothing short of new life was needed. Romans chapter 5 says, since by this one man's trespass, death reigned. Death reigned. Through that one man. He's talking about Adam there. How much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life? Death reigned through Christ. Life reigns. How much will that reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? He goes on, he says, So then, as through one trespass, there is condemnation for everyone, so also, through one righteous act, there is life-giving justification for everyone. No one is beyond the love and reach of God. No one has committed a sin so atrocious, so horrible that God will turn them away. No one, he says that there is life-giving justification for everyone. For just as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so also through the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. God has a purpose for your life. Every life is important. Every life has meaning. Every life has purpose. And part of your purpose is to show the love and forgiveness and reality of God to everyone. Because everyone needs that. We're going to pick up with this later. Kent, we're not going to do a closing song. We're going to pick up with the, the rest of this next week. If you want to read through the rest of Jeremiah uh, chapter 1, it's only 19 verses long. Um, and just marvel in the love and grace of God. Father, thank you for your word and truth. Thank you for what it's done in my life. Thank you for what it's done in the lives of these people here. Every single person here is here because you have at least begun a good work in them. And, Father, for each one of us, I pray that you will help us to know the forgiveness, grace, and love that you have for us in Christ. That we will be able to share that with others. And I think of those who have done some things that they think are horrible, that they think are unforgiving. Whether it's uh, whether it was abortion or whether it's something else, Father. Uh, that Whatever it is that we might be able to help them see and come to know the grace and love and forgiveness of God. The grace and love for, for, uh, for, and forgiveness that is ours in Christ who brings life. Because that's what we need. Teach us. Open our eyes, open our hearts, open our mouths, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.